Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hallway Chat. I'm Nabil. Hey, I'm Bijan. And uh, I promise we're going to talk about the iPhone 10, <laughs> as you would fully <laughs> expect. It'll be the first thing we talk about today. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, new apps we're using. I think Bijan want to talk about Christmas gadget lists as well. Um, but why don't, like, why don't we start, uh, and some stuff about the changes going on in Silicon Valley right now. But look, why don't we start with the iPhone 10? Bijan, how how has it been? <laughs> I have a very strange relationship with this iPhone 10. Like, I don't know if you put yours in a case or not, but like, I don't have my, mine's in a case. And when I take it out of the case, I love it. It feels awesome. The edge to edge screen is really nice or stunning. I, I, the notch doesn't bother me at all. And um, I love having like the dual camera advanced thing in a small package. That feels great. When I stick right. it in a case, it's like the magic kind of goes away. <laughs> and um, I, you, which, ca which case do you use? I use the Apple leather case. No, 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 no. Oh, really? That's the problem. Wait, what do I need? Yeah, you need to use a totally case. It's T-O-T-A-L-L-E-E -E case.com. It's the company's called Totally. It's like one of those super, almost like Peel. It's like a better version of Peel. It's a very, very thin case that just covers, it's like, I don't know, millimeters thick. Huh. Uh, and it keeps you from basic scratches. Uh, that's the first thing I'd recommend. That might Maybe that'll help you fall back fully in love. That was such a tepid reaction from you, Bijan. <laughs> like, well, like for, you have a new iPhone, the next generation of this platform, yeah. and you're like, eh. No, no, I, know. I love it without the case, but it feels so precious to me that it's like the first phone in a long time that I feel like I need to put it in a case. Well, I will tell you Face ID, I, I think is great. I think Face ID yeah. with Apple Pay is a much better combo than the Touch ID and Apple Pay. Is, is one yeah. And now I want, now I just want, you know, face ID everywhere. I want it on my Mac, on my iPad. And it is a little weird now that the iPad and iPhone have such different interaction models. I mean, I'm constantly swiping up on my iPad. Nothing's happening. <laughs> you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm staring into the camera. Nothing's happening. Like it's just, uh, it's, it's funny. We're in this state now where uh, these things have really diverged. And it's a little weird. It's actually, uh, a testament, I mean, it hasn't been talked about too much publicly, but it's a testament to the fact that Apple is still pushing forward. I think we, they've gotten a lot of criticism for maybe some incrementalism uh, of, over the last few years. And maybe that's a belief like, oh, without Steve Jobs around or, whatever. you know, kind of ignoring the history of, of, frankly, Apple having a lot of incrementalism year to year and then kind of the every once in a while having these breakouts. But this is, I can imagine the internal UI and design conversations uh, and UX conversations inside of Apple. It's not that simple to build uh, a new interaction profile and feel like you're breaking from the past and breaking from what was a very, I mean, the iPhone itself, such a huge difference and change that wasn't that long ago. The new, the new iOS interactions weren't that long ago. So I, I think it's, uh, for me, it's heartening for kind of, if you're, if you're an Apple aficionado, if you really believe in, in having a couple of seminal consumer electronics companies building amazing products, which I do believe in, um, as I also believe in startups trying to knock them down a peg, um, <laughs> that, that I, it's, it's a good sign for Apple. I think it's a good step. Yeah, and I also, I bought a, a bunch of these wireless charging things that, you know, I know they're going to get better, and um, but I'm, I'm having a ball with them. I, I bought the um, Belkin one for the office. I bought a couple Mopi ones for the house. 
And, you know, so Lauren, my wife's got an iPhone 10, I have one, and we could just drop these things around. And they're obviously not fast charging, which is going to come at some point, but um, it's so convenient. It's great. Yeah. Agreed. 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 Um, do you have an Echo or anything that you, that, you know, how, how are you tied into your voice ecosystem to your Apple ecosystem? Are, is this uh, iPhone 10 going to just make you go all... All, you're going to converting over to Siri for everything. Well, How so, are you? Here's the weird part right now. So we have we have these Echoes. Uh, yeah. Echo doesn't work with Apple Music, and we're Spotify people anyway. Anyway. Uh, yeah. But yep. but now we're getting this weird thing happening where, you know, we have these Echoes. They're linked to Spotify. People use them, which is great in the household. But now my Spotify Discovery Weekly is useless because mm -hmm. it's all tied to one Spotify account. It's like the Netflix problem where, is, you know, yep. we have one Netflix account and so, yeah, you know, or Amazon. Or yep. Amazon problem, yeah. You could just get a, a Google Home that your <laughs> kids are allowed to talk to and an Amazon Echo that you are allowed to talk to. <laughs> yeah. It would be really cool if, like, you know, it could tell the difference between, like, me and Jay, my kid and, and it's like, oh, it's James, use his Spotify account. And, oh yeah, I, well, well, I don't know if it, how it'll tie back to Spotify because of, of the Spotify account uh, origination problem. But the Echo, do, Echo, um, I think I read recently, like they either have it in beta or are shipping uh, recognizing your voice. Oh, yeah, um, that'd be great. And if it could tie to your Spotify profile, that would that would be a win. Google Home all year has known how to recognize your individual voice, and you can personalize things like, you know, what are my directions to work or something like that, and it'll give you your directions or your calendar. And apparently Echo now has the same, but I don't think that's actually tied back to Spotify yet, but, you know, things to come. So I think this will be solved. And actually interesting, it, it's an interesting case where a voice is such a identifying mechanism. Right. Um, and maybe we'll get that in the future, this will all go away, right? Because at the point where I have face ID when I sit down at my laptop, then my wife's sitting down at my laptop and really quickly going over to Amazon, Amazon should know that it's her and not me. Right. 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 Um, and then and then hopefully curate, you know, her her suggested list versus mine. Yeah. I, I think face ID is is uh, is a total game changer. I, I think we're gonna see awesome things come out of it. Um, since we're talking about the Echo, can we just reset for a second? And, and, and do you use it for anything other than music? Every now and then, hokey things like timers. And my uh, daughter and son use it for their alarm clock. I mean, li literally, uh, just for their alarm clock. But that's it. No, we're not using it for lights or coffee machines or home automation or none of that stuff. Yeah, I find that it's true for us as well. It's, it is the way that my kids decide who gets to play Super Mario Odyssey. Um, they set timers for each other for 20 minutes play and then switch off. And, uh, and then of course we use it for, for Spotify. And it worries me that we're a year and a half into this and there aren't more, I mean, there's a ton of experimentation from startups in voice applications. Uh, I try to install new skills regularly. I try and play with them. But when I ask this question over and over again to other folks, it's, it's surprising to me that there hasn't been more progress here. Could it be just music is the killer app for these things? It might be that the truth is that all you really wanted is a voice interface. And so, you know, we can go back to Sonos just integrates uh, the Echo, you know, UI integrates Amazon and then we're done. Um, but that's not, of course, the promise, right? That's not the promise of a new platform. That's not what HomePod and Echo are trying to be in total. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's not exactly a voice platform at that point. It's just a music player, right? By the way, speaking of this Amazon display gadgety things like these Echoes, the, um, you know, I'm not like this overly concerned person about privacy. Like 
Like Lauren actually puts a little sticky over her webcam on her MacBook uh, Pro. I, like I, I'm not that guy. We've got Nest cams in our house, whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I just felt like a negative reaction to that Amazon um, Spot product, which is like a little clock radio thing. Have you seen it? It's a circular thing. It's yeah. its bedside table. Like I immediately want to snatch it up. It's, it's available for pre-order now. I was going to buy a slew of them, but they, they included a camera in it. And, and I feel like putting a camera next to your bedside table, it just feels gross. Hmm. I had no such reaction. Everyone's got their own line, Bijan. Yeah, yeah. That's my, uh, that's mine. I just feel like camera, you know, eight inches from my bed is, is, uh, I, I, I will say the universal thing is that whatever that line is, that line degrades over time. <laughs> so, you know, other than privacy advocates talking on the internet about it, consumers historically have always picked convenience over privacy. Always. Uh, always. Uh, it's an easy bet to make. Although, have you noticed on Face ID, going back to Apple for a second, if you close your eyes, it doesn't it doesn't unlock your phone. Ah, I haven't tried that. No, so like your partner can't pick your phone, stick it in front of your face while you're sleeping. While you're sleeping. And uh, unlock your phone. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's pretty cool. What new apps are you playing with on your iPhone? The latest one I've got, and uh, I was going to write something because every time I do one of these posts, I get a lot of DMs on Instagram like, what app is this? So there's an app on, on iOS. I don't know if there's an Android version, uh, but I, I don't really care, um, called Unfold. It's, uh, mm -hmm. And you can make these beautiful, it has these beautiful basically templates for creating um, uh, creative Instagram stories. So if you're an Instagram stories user, you should totally download Unfold. I think it's a few dollars. And uh, you could do like, two videos in a single story post. You can do a photo in a, in a video. You can add some text. Um, it's great. Totally great. I was doing these weird ad hockey things with Adobe Premiere and, uh, and, and some smart developers like, I'm just going to make this awesome. And uh, he or she did. And it's great. Unfold. That's amazing. I, I saw some of your stories and was wondering what had happened. Uh, so thanks for solving that mystery for me. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, I, I don't have any new uh, major new apps other than I came back to a product that I tried for five seconds earlier and didn't like and now I'm in love with uh, in conjunction with the iPhone 10, which is um, I think it's called pronounced uh, Halide or Halide. I read about this, but I didn't install it um, for some reason. You like it? So it's a yeah, so it's a it's a camera app. Uh, you know, it shouldn't surprise anybody that me and Bijan eventually get to talking about a camera app. But uh, yeah, it, it gives you all the manual controls that you want uh, when you're taking photos with this new, wonderful, beautiful iPhone 10 camera. Uh, and it also takes it in RAW, mm. which is wonderful. And it's very high speed RAW saving. Because uh, I guess it does lazy loading in the background or something, lazy saving in the background or something. But it's uh, it's a really beautiful app. There's a couple of nuances around the gesture interface and how you access controls that takes a little bit of getting used to. I mean, you can open up in one second and take a photo, but but it, it rewards digging a little bit deeper. Cool, that's great. So I've gone all raw on my on my iPhone now. Yeah, it's such a good camera. Um, hey, one other geeky thing on iPhone 10 because of the OLED screen, have you noticed how awesome blacks look? Oh, it's amazing. So yeah. I've now like, my wallpaper is all black. There's a default one in iOS now. If you go to wallpaper, you can make it black. And I actually read that um, it's a big battery saver because uh, black means that the, nothing's being lit up. And the so, pixels aren't firing. Yeah. yeah. And then the notch is invisible when you're in that mode. And um, 
And then there's a whole bunch of developers now adding total blackout to their products. So it's not night mode where like, I don't know if you used, um, like Tweetbot has a night mode, Twitter has a night mode, but it's kind of gray. These are like black, black. And uh, so there's an RSS app that I've been using called Unread. Um, and it looks awesome. And, uh, and you kind of get this little nerd feeling like, oh, I'm saving battery too. I don't know. And, um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I hope all developers go to this black mode. I, I think it's great. It's awesome. I think that's uh, that's I I agree. Uh, I I love it. I now just learned that I need to ha get an RSS reader, which I haven't <laughs> opened in an RSS reader in a good five years. So that'll be a good, <laughs> be a good try too. What is that for blogs? And you have to say a list of blogs, or is it photo blogs, or what do you use it for? Yeah, and it's just a bunch of. Uh, it's you know back in the day we'd have an RSS uh, feed with like you know two hundred subscriptions in it. This one I just added like thirty. And it's just a few yeah. friends of mine that have photo blogs or otherwise that aren't regular posters that just, it's very ad hoc and there's no reasonable way to stay updated. Um, so um, it turns out RSS uh, still works. You know, you, you know, I thought RSS was over, but, but apparently not. Pichon's bringing it back. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the old use case of like sticking your, you know, engaged feed into your RSS reader, like that's a failed use. That's, that's done. Yeah. But uh, if you've got a, a friend that posts, you know, every, you know, once a month, it's a, it's a good uh, thing. By the way, speaking of, speaking of over, you, you were bringing up earlier that uh, consumer might not be over. We have a musically exit. Uh, <laughs> I know it's been steady narrative about like, you know, there's no consumer innovation uh, post, you know, whatever, uh, because of, um, you know, the, because of Facebook and their power and, and, you know, people kind of, you know, look at Snapchat is kind of waning. And, and so there's just been this thing for, I don't know, half a dozen years now, like consumers over mobile consumer mobiles over and, you know, here, here musically just had a massive exit. And, you know, I, I'm curious why, you know, people are making a bigger deal out of it. Do they think it's a one-off that this isn't really a reason for optimism? Facebook is as powerful as ever. Is it something about, you know, the people involved with Musical.ly, is it, uh, I don't know the founders, I don't know if you know the founders, is it, is, like, it feels noticeable, like, when I, when I, when I remember other consumer startups exiting at this price, you know, notably Instagram and Tumblr and, and probably others, but this $1 billion price has, there's a, there's a, a history with this number, and um, it felt like it's a much bigger deal, and, and this felt very, it, it didn't feel that way. Yeah, I think, there are a couple of factors. Um, one is that a billion dollars might not be as billion dollars anymore. You know, we, we, at the time that the unicorn, you know, term was invented, there were very few companies that were reaching past the billion dollar stage in valuation, never mind exit value. Uh, and I think that number is there's a lot of, there's just a lot of startups that are above the billion dollars now in cl very clearly in unrealized returns in paper value but you hear that value i think so much more and and when when uber is raising you know the rounds that they're just putting together with softbank and and you're hearing you know things like airbnb and so on you're hearing about 10 billion 20 billion and 30 billion dollar private companies in tech built suddenly that billion feels uh you know maybe not as iconic as it used to be I think the other thing is the buyer. Uh, you know, uh, if this was, if Musical.ly had just been bought by Facebook 
and was going to be tucked into Instagram and so on and so forth. And Kevin Systrom was now talking tomorrow and hanging out with Josh Elman, who was the investor of Musical.ly. And like, and that, that was the spin. Like, I just think you'd see article after article after article, right? But uh, this is a, like, I don't even know how to, I'm not even sure if I can pronounce the Chinese personalized news app company that bought Musical.ly, right? Like Tao Tao, is it, it, it Tao Tia? I, no, you know. I get it, yeah. So it's the buyer makes it, is, is a source of, not quite validation, but it's part of the, the narrative on whether it gets full credit, partial credit, or, or you know, news that lasts a day. Right. You, you can think about there all the follow-up stories. Just think about, you know, what you went through with David Karp and, and, and Yahoo. Like a lot of that conversation about Tumblr and, and, and Spark and USV, the investors and everything that happened with Tumblr. And then a lot of it was like, well, what does this mean for Yahoo? And does, is it relevant in consumer again? And all it was, there was a whole nother narrative that happens around that, that lets that story last for quite some time. And I don't think anybody knows anything about this company in the West. And so but it's just musically got bought. That's it. I know that's remarkable though. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think the buyer is really part of the issue, but I, I gotta tell you if, um, I don't know, you know, and it's funny, you know, a Japanese company bought Indeed for a billion dollars and nobody really talks about Indeed as much as, so maybe it is really the buyer, but I, I guess it's just curious to me. I mean, look, when, when Cruise was sold to GM for, you know, we're talking about a similar exit price. I mean, GM is a more, it's a bigger name. Uh, right. And, you know, people have big expectations about the future of AVs and stuff. So that's why that took on a life of its own for sure. Um, yeah, it had a conversation about – it turned into a conversation about does this make GM relevant in the self-driving? It turned into a conversation about self-driving. Self-driving, you know, that this is a right. real uh, market that's going to explode. You know, so I, I think that's, that's all right. But I, I think there is a story here that either you don't believe or you believe that that this notion that there's no innovation in consumer is not true. I, I, that's my takeaway from it. I, I feel like Greylock and the other investors in, in Musical.ly, GGV, GGV yep. and, uh, and the founders of Musical.ly um, deserve a lot of credit. And you know what, like I, I think, I hope it inspires more um, entrepreneurs to do great things in consumer because I, I think uh, there's plenty of work to do. I, I agree. And, and there are things happening in consumer, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're an investor in, in Discord as well, which has been right. uh, growing, obviously, very aggressively and doing quite well. I, I think there are, if you, if you look past the narrative that consumer is dead and there's nothing there, uh, it's not a flood. It's not the first year of the App Store as a flood. Um, but I think you can't have this many phones and this many consumers using a product and not have the opportunity for new disruptive ideas to grow. Um, is it a little bit harder? It absolutely is, but obviously the market, the market's huge. Right. Um, like I feel like, I mean, and this is not disrespect to these other companies and, and certainly no disrespect to the Musical.ly story and its investors and founders, but like, I feel like Blue Bottle is a bigger story than the Musical.ly exit. Okay. In terms of press. In terms of press. And, and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I love Blue Bottle. I, you know, you're just a you're just a four barrel aficionado and Blue Bottle <laughs> hater. It's not that at all. I, I go to Mint Plaza and I dutifully get my uh, from my Blue Bottle, and that's and I love it. It's all good. It's just I, I just. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's fair that it's underhyped. It's a very, it's a very big exit. Yeah, and I feel like Dollar Shave Club it. got a bigger, a bigger coverage than. Oh, it certainly did. Dollar Shave Club certainly did. It's interesting that all of your other examples, though, fit a very interesting narrative, right? Dollar Shave Club, yeah. um, Cruise, you know, which we involved with, and and um, they're all examples, and and Blue Bottle examples of 
and old companies and brands that the average American would know. So you can write about it in the Wall Street Journal because maybe the average 50-year-old doesn't actually know who Musical.ly is um, and maybe doesn't have it if they live in Ohio, have never really heard about Blue Bottle. But but they know Nestle and they, they know GM. They, they know these brands and they think about those brands and that's what makes it the broader story. So I still think the, the acquirer has a little bit to do with it here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But, but it's still, I, I, but I agree, it's underreported. It should be reported more. Yep. Uh, and I'd love to see more consumer companies, obviously. So if this does spur that, that would be, that would be an excellent thing. So, uh, you know, hard, hard pivot, but I want it's, it's remiss. We want to talk about gadgets a lot. We want to talk about the apps that we like to use a lot. But look, if it's hallway chat, like the, the truth, we were talking about this beforehand. The truth is that we, we've been talking about a lot what's been going on in Silicon Valley. What do you think about the shit show that is venture capital in Silicon Valley, Bijan? And <laughs> and uh, and do you feel like it's being handled the right way right now? Well, look, the thing that is um, you know fairly recognizable is that you know every ten years you see a shift in in this business where you know the kind of old guard kind of clears the way for the new guard. Sometimes that's new firms. So, you know, 12 years ago when we started, there was a whole bunch of new venture capital firms that didn't exist that suddenly came into the market. About the time we came into the market, Union Square Ventures was in business, had just launched Foundry, True Capital. Um, I'm, I'm missing others. So first round. Andreessen, right. uh, Andreessen. first round. Uh, yeah, there's a whole, there's like a three, four year run of, of really a, a whole new uh, crop of, venture, of VC firms. Right, and these yeah, firms right. didn't exist in, in, their, in those configurations or didn't exist at all, and uh, suddenly you had that, and uh, you know, I would guess you could say the same thing 10 years before that, and, and in some cases, you saw other firms um, go through a significant transition. Certainly, Greylock did that with um, the founders, and then you know, David Z and, and others kind of taking the baton. You saw the benchmark. Um, you know, so that's not uncommon. It's it's significant because there's no guarantee that the transition is going to work. That those right. firms, and then when you see new firms come on, some work out great, some don't work out at all. We've seen some that are kind of like one fund and done due to bad performance or bad moral judgment or both. And um, so it's definitely a disruptive moment when these cycles happen, and we're going through that now clearly. And you know, we can rattle off, you know. 10 names of firms that are going through massive transition and some will do great and some won't and some are TBD. But you combine all that with, you know, this explosion of uh, seed funds, accelerators, incubators, crowdfunding, whatever. So that's like the second piece of the thing. Plus the normal transition that happens every 10 years anyway, anyway. And then you combine it with the moral shit show. And yep. I, that part, the three of us. I wouldn't things, call it a moral yeah. shit show. Can we like, like, I, it's, yeah, a, no, it's, it's, not a it's a moral show. awakening, right? Like it's, 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 it is a, it is a, it's a long overdue thing. And, and it, but it is all happening at once. All those three things that you just mentioned are happening at once. And right. so it is a very interesting moment in that I think we'll see that the next three to four years has m probably, we always think about these VC firms as, as, kind of stalwart brands that last and have been around for a long time and that's the way they are. And there are moments in, in, in VC history of profound change. And I think the combination of the rapid number of startups, this moral awakening uh, and, uh, and that kind of natural timing of generational changes happening in a lot of firms 
I think we're going to see, uh, yeah, nothing is, uh, nothing is to be taken for granted. Totally. Totally. And you know, you just see firms that are, are out of business now because of their conduct. You see, you know, firms that have been reconstituted because of their conduct, you see founders with their name on the shingle being thrown out of their firm. So like, um, and, and it's, it's very obvious that we're at the beginning of this awakening. Like this is not like, Oh, the purge happened and uh, everyone get back to work. You know, this is going to continue. Uh, it's horrible, but it's going to continue. And, and um, you know, there's, there's probably a very, you know, critical way to look at it. There's also probably a, a, a genuine optimistic way of looking at this moment and what it means and like where this goes in terms of, you know, um, women's rights, um, representation, diversity, different types of firms that are going to be set up. You know, what, when we, if we sit here in 10 years, will the next, this new crop of VCs that get started, are they going to be uh, better behaved than the last crop? I, I hope so. You know, I mean, I sincerely hope so. Right. So that's the optimistic version of this um, perspective, but it definitely feels unique. You know, I, I, I would never have said that these firms that are at risk of going out of business or transitioning or whatever, 10 years ago, I wouldn't imagine that these names are the ones we'd be talking about today. So I, I, um, I, I definitely think it's a, it's a, there's a big, um, whatever assumptions people have of these quote unquote stalwarts, uh, all bets are off. Yep. I agree with that. I agree with that. And, and I think it's, it's a, you say you're not sure if it's, you know, we'll see how healthy it is. I think it's, you know, obviously the process I think is very healthy, right? I think it's insane. You know, on the one hand, it's insane that this behavior has been allowed to happen. Um, and I think I'm glad that we've drawn a red line. I'm glad that these, these, I'm glad that these very brave women are coming forward and speaking out, uh, which takes a lot. Uh, and, and I'm glad that, that people are reacting the way they should, you know, uh, you know, we're not getting the reactions to this in Silicon Valley that, for instance, you know, Alabama Republicans are having to, to more, where there's still a fair number of them that are rallying to his cause, even if he is a pedophile, uh, because they have to support their man. And, and that's not what we're seeing here. And I think that's, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Uh, that. That part's one part. And then the other part is like, it's, it still is insane to me that you have this situation where the startup ecosystem is 10x larger, the seed ecosystem in particular is 10x larger than it was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. And yet most firms are still operating in the same way. And that doesn't make any sense to me either. So outside of the, the moral stuff, there is just the kind of like, our business has changed. The, 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 the business of what we do is at the seed stage and at the growth stage, given them checks that are coming in and at the sizes that are coming in and, and the number of startups that are getting started, are, are the business is changing. And so, uh, you know, if you are running uh, Netflix and, and digital started, you got to make a transition. You got to figure out a new way. You can't just keep shipping DVDs in envelopes to people's houses. Right. And, and I think, you know, there are a handful of ways that people are, are trying to solve this particular problem. But it's I would I could list off like, you know, the two or three ways that they're doing it. Some people are trying scouts to try and deal with the number of seeds out there. Um, you know, I think Andreessen has been trying to to build a global brand, using marketing as a top of the funnel. Uh, you know, there's the idea of ICOs maybe playing uh, a role or AngelList. But 
that's it's that's still it's like there's first of all I just I'm listing maybe two or three firms that are actually being proactive about it uh, and very few real fundamental change to try and attack this new this new problem um, and and to be very transparent like I don't I, you know at Spark we're talking about this very aggressively we don't have a new model that we're unveiling tomorrow <laughs> or anything like that uh, we, but it but at the very least I think you have to be open to the idea that the world changes startups change and you should be changing with them. It's true. I mean, I think the most uh, potentially risky thing we did was, well, probably two things. We expanded the team of multiple offices. You know, we went from one office, small team to multiple offices, bigger team. And the second, um, you know, call it not risk from like we were at risk of going into business, but in terms of like breaking up something that had been working is, is the growth fund and growth team. And, and, you know, by all accounts, there's this view of like, hey, focus, focus, focus. You know, we tell our startups the benefit of the focus. And we kind of like opened our aperture up and said, hey, multi-offices, multi-funds, and expand the strategy. And, um, you know, we feel good about it. Time will tell if it was the right decision in, in all candor. I mean, obviously, we love the people we work with and we're proud of the portfolio. But um, would we have been better off with a smaller focused uh, effort or bigger? You know, there's... Uh, it's, um, you know, anybody could argue, I think anything at this time, there's so much things in flux. Yeah. And, and we don't need to go through it here. Cause I don't feel like we should talk, this shouldn't be the, the talk about spark podcast, but, <laughs> but you know, the way we structured that growth team and the way they make decisions on their own. And the, like, that's also a very, very considered thought process that is different than the way most growth, most growth teams operate the way we operate with them and, uh, and is hopefully uh, fixes some of the problems that other folks have had as they've grown. And I think we should have the same approach. And I think the market needs to have the same approach to how to make a kind of healthy seed ecosystem uh, work as well. Um, yeah, yeah. But time will tell. Time will tell. Oh, I, you know, I, I want to, I want to touch, did you, what, last, last piece maybe, did you, read the blog post by Eugene Way, which no, came out I, last I night. I posted that in Slack and I, I haven't had a chance to, to check it out. You, you want to talk about it or you want to save it? I'm, I, no, I, I want to talk about it for a second Let's because it. It, it reminded me a lot of a, of a lot of things. And uh, the thing is, so Eugene is currently works at Oculus. He used to work at Amazon and he, it's, it's a long blog post, but it's one of those long reads that's worth it. Uh, and it, it's kind of two really two to three different very big points. One is just a kind of diary retelling of those early days at Amazon and what it was like to be there that I wish happened way more often in Silicon Valley. I think we have so much CEO worship yeah. in Silicon Valley yeah. that the CEOs get to tell their story about how they pivoted and what they did, but there's very little about the what actually feels like what was happening day to day inside of these cultures and these organizations and uh, and perhaps the habits that they had that were helpful to them. Right. Uh, and I and I do think about startups as culture building. And so I think that that it's almost more important to hear about that from the handful of lieutenants than it is from the CEO. Yeah. Uh, so there's that, and it's about this kind of like them kind of obsessing over uh, printing out these uh, you know these reams and reams of uh, presentations with stats on everything that they're, you know, basically their analytics dashboard that they would have to print out going over to the printer every single time and like putting their hands on the printer and hoping that it works out. And, you know, like, please let the printer not break. Well, like, all these things that like in an age of LCD panels where right. you just show the dashboard right. all the time is, is, you know, of the time. Um, the second part of it though is actually just acknowledging 
uh, how incredibly valuable it was to have uh, you know, 30 pages of numbers on the business that you sat down with and deliberately looked at for an hour every week. And the profound difference between that and having all-time ambient, you know, full-time constant ambient access to the same amounts of statistics or some level of statistics. And, uh, and it just reminds me, in a world where, you know, the iPhone's in our pocket, we have access to everything all of the time, it, it doesn't take away from the value of, of intent of, you know, just because you have an LCD. In fact, because you have an LCD panel sitting in your startup that's 40 inches that has your dashboard on at all time, like almost necessarily it will be ignored. And, yeah. and in fact, it's a very different process to say on Monday morning, let's get the executives together. Let's sit down. Let's go through for a really long period of time all of these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. I mean, to some extent, those LCDs on the walls. I mean, they're a little bit like, you know, the modern day version of a mission statement that you saw companies hang on the wall. Like it's, it's kind of like, yeah. hey, we're in the business of tracking this stuff, and are you look at what our users are doing? It's not actionable in the sense that, like, you know, if a server goes down or an instance goes down, it's not because of the wall. It's like a bunch of shit went up, and and you're being notified and, and the right. Uh, right. Right, that's right. It's more like a alert system, not not really operationalizing the business in your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. and 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 I and I, I remember it made me reflect back on. Look, Amazon's an operationally complex business, so you kind of have to do that. Not every startup is the same, so I, this is not you know some of the problems with reading startup advice is just you know willy nilly applying it everywhere. But it reminded me that actually Postmates did the very same thing for the longest time. They had this Excel spreadsheet with like thirty five tabs on it that had every single city breakdown and, and it was very antiquated and, but, but we, and, and it was, sorry, it's very noisy. There's a lot, there's a lot of slot, a lot of sheets of a lot of numbers, but we, I used to have conversations with people and they would ask why were there a bunch of on-demand startups that started before Postmates and they all tend to get to 20, $30 million in revenue. And then they kind of fall over and they don't, you know, and they, and they would not work out well. Uh, and how did Postmates push through that? And I think, this is probably not an insignificant part of that. Yeah. Like they had a habit and a rhythm of every week uh, having this huge, you know, statistical Excel model built out that then, you know, not just some random finance person or analytics person, but like all the way up to Bastion and Kristen would sit down and go through. Yeah. And, and, and that when you do that as, with a rhythm every week, I think you do internalize the entire business in your head in a way that's really, really valuable. Yeah, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's right. I think because sometimes you see, and as investors, we're guilty of it as well. It's like you see the top line growing, and you're kind of feeling like, hey, things are good, you know. Or you know, you see um, expenses uh, either out of control. You go, oh, what's that? But to kind of have a rigorous way to have an intellectual, honest view of like what's happening with this business, what's working, what's not working. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I, I'm definitely going to read the post. I, I haven't. I feel bad. I should have done that before this. And then the last little bit, the third piece, by the way, is that then he goes off on how to properly design charts and, and references uh, Edward Tufte, which is like, you know, just warms my heart. Yeah, Edward Tufte, I have a, I have a quick, quick little story on that. So, uh, you know, my friend, you know, your friends, the, the Sue Roseman over at Sanebox, the creator of Sanebox. Of course. Before launching Sanebox, he was so inspired by Tufte's work that he actually created a web uh, product called verifiable and 
And the whole point of verifiable is you would use verifiable to create your charts and spreadsheets. And it was impossible to obfuscate the data. Like, so, you know, the big tufty thing is like, you know, these charts mean nothing because the y-axis is missing or something. And right. verifiable was like, you couldn't do that. And every chart you would present had hot links. So you could see the underlying data. Like there was no hiding around fancy bar charts, you know? And, uh, and it was called verifiable. Anyway, it turned out sandbox was what they wanted to build after that. But, uh, that was, uh, a bunch of really smart people that were inspired by Tufty's, uh, uh, mission. I, I love it. I, I think, you know, it's still amazing. He goes through it in the post, but it's still amazing that we're in an age where I think Tufty did influence a lot of designers. Uh, I think he's, uh, his, his books, I have, I have all of them, um, were really seminal for me when I think about design uh, of information and yet still like actually trying to produce a chart in Excel <laughs> that, that adheres to like the basic principles that he outlines is actually not possible without manual work. Like there's no set of settings that you can turn on or off that will actually produce a chart that Tufty would, would approve, <laughs> approve of. And that's, that's, that's obscene. Like, right. can we just get, forget reinventing Excel for the mobile phone or, uh, you know, the, the visual age or anything. Can we just get a spreadsheet program that produces beautiful charts that are readable? Well, I, I that, that, that's why Amazon does those like lengthy, uh, you know, memos that you report to me because the chart by itself is insufficient given the tools we've got. You, you've got to uh, really unpack it with the context. That's right. That's right. Well, look, let's let's be done for today. Other than uh, I want you to take two seconds and if there's any other products that you would recommend in uh, for Christmas to put on the Christmas list, yeah. uh, you should toss it out right now. Oh, right now. Right now. All right. What do you got? I well, I'm kind of in the market for a 360 video camera, so that's I don't have an answer. Um, but I, <laughs> have I got an answer for you? I was asking. I was waiting for that. I haven't gotten one yet, so I'm I'm uh, I'm very itchy to get one. And uh, yeah, so so all, yeah, all, all all disclosure. We're an investor in a company called Rilo uh, that has produced really amazing. Really, it's a it's honestly should replace your GoPro as well. It's not just a 360 video camera. I, I like to call it. You know, most cameras are point and shoot. And the whole idea behind the 360 is that it's a shooting point. So right. you just run around and you take video and then you can, of course, export that as 360 video, but more importantly, you can then control the shot afterwards. And, and uh, it's really remarkable. I, I do have one here. I apologize, Bijan. I should have put you on the short list. That's you should have right. one as well. I'm uh, going to make sure. I get but a lot but it's, ship it's shipping right now. Um, you know, they did not do the Kickstarter thing. They didn't do the announce 10 months before they're ready thing, you know, right. they decided smartly as founders, they, they announced and then shipped a couple weeks later. Uh, and that's what we're just going Go figure. to put it on there. That one's on your list for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, I mentioned the echo, uh, Amazon spot, but that camera's freaking me out right now, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll chill. HomePod, I think it's not going to make Christmas. My, my, my best guess right now is Apple's going to miss Christmas with the HomePod. Um, and it's too pricey to be a holiday gift for everybody. But for, I got to tell you, we didn't talk about it, but I, I love, love, love Apple Watch Series 3. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. And uh, so maybe for that special someone. <laughs> you're, you're a runner, right? I run. Is that, is that, a, is that a core use case? I run from having my Apple Watch on just for working out. Now I have it on all the time. It's great. I, I love uh, having LT on it. It's uh it's awesome. Maybe maybe we'll talk more about that more about that the next time. Um, Rilo's on my list. I still am recommending. It's from last Christmas, but this Christmas Aura is an amazing yes. Wi-Fi picture frame. 
love that. Uh, and then one that's not a portfolio company because we should be doing that also is uh, uh, it's an air purifier. I have to say, it's given the you know wildfires that we just went through and 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 fires in California, there's a company called Molecule which makes an air purifier. It's a startup that is phenomenal, and it is the only air purifier that actually destroys uh, the mold that is inside of it. Every other air purifier actually just captures it, uh, at, you know, in a filter that you hopefully change. But of course, as it's captured, it, it's next to each other. It grows inside of that filter, which is kind of gross, and then gets some of that gets back into the air. This is actually the only air purifier um, that that actually destroys the the mold you that's have sitting it in house? there. I do. I have one in the house, and I actually put one in the San Francisco office as well. And do you do you, like for the San Francisco is one sufficient? For the size of the San Francisco office, we should probably put in two, but I only have one. Okay. All right. No, I'm just wondering. Yeah. And okay. it's not, to be clear, like it's not the cheapest air purifier in the world. You can buy much, much cheaper air purifiers. So it's, it, but, uh, but it does its job really well. And especially if you're an allergy sufferer or you're worried about future wildfires, it's, it's maybe not the worst thing in the world. No, that sounds, we should put that, uh, a link in the show notes for sure. Excellent. I All think right. we're done yeah. for today, Bishan. Yes, for uh, for the few listeners we have that are loyal and send us tweets, uh, thank you, thank you. We're back, and hopefully the next one will be uh, not too far away. As always, everybody, uh, welcome your feedback, comments, questions, suggestions. Uh, we'll have a guest next time as well as we're trying to alternate. Talk to you all later. All right, see you. Bye. Bye-bye.